How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this edition of the uh, 2020s Enterprise. My name is Sam Holzman, and we have a very special guest uh, on the show today, a little bit different show than we usually do. Um, And uh, the name of the show today is going to be Applying Logic to Consumer Behavior in Times of Crises. Sort of a a topic that is not the normal topic for our programs, but you'll see how it all ties in uh, to bringing some method to the math madness out there. Um, And uh, my guest today is Ken Metviner, uh, an acquaintance of ours. I just want to have full disclosure here. There is no business relationship here, and Ken is going to be introducing himself in just a moment. But it's got some uh, very, very uh, interesting approaches and understandings of this crisis situation that we're in, and hopefully to bring our audience uh, some understanding of, of what possibly can be done in the near term and in the longer term to address this. So, Ken, can you say hello to the audience and tell us just a little bit about yourself, if you could? Sure. Um, I've been in the uh, financial services business for over 40 years, and I'm an MBA. And uh, before that, I was a consultant uh, at a Wall Street firm that dealt with um, uh, the top lawyers and the top investment bankers. So I've had pretty good insight as to how uh, large corporations operate, how they make decisions. And uh, I've gone through a number of uh, economic uh, crises starting in the 70s and then again in the 80s, uh, then in the mid-90s, 2000, 2001 to 2003, and certainly the last recession. So I've had some experience with you know, a very disappointing performance in the stock market and an economy that has gone through, you know, dramatic changes in the last 40 years. So that's basically my background. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, as we were chatting uh, a, a while ago, you were looking at the uh, the various uh, economic sec- segments, if I can call it that. And uh, one of the things that I found fascinating is you uh, – you segmented uh, the uh, the economy sort of into two parts, what you call stable, uh, which is an interesting phrase. There is partially a, a stable environment out there, I think. And then, of course, there's the other side. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for, for our audience, please? Yes. Um, about one half of the economy uh, can be characterized as, as stable, meaning that it'll perform in large measure almost all scenarios. Uh, and uh, and that uh, that and a bit more than the other half could be characterized as variable, meaning that it depends on the changing appetites of consumers and businesses to spend money. So that while we can take comfort that our economy will never quite stop dead in its tracks, the question is how quickly it can recover to previous levels once it begins to recover. Now, as I, as I try to parse the, uh, the economy into the two halves, the stable and the variable, um, the variable part, uh, as I said before, includes uh, consumers and businesses. And uh, uh, of that variable part, businesses have represented about one-third, which is you know, pretty good, pretty powerful, but it's not nearly as powerful as, uh, as consumers. And businesses will respond quickly to any sign of increased demand by the customers. So um, I think on, on that basis, you know, we can expect that as the economy opens up, we'll get quickly back to what I call the stable part. And then the big question is how long, how long does the um, variable part take to kick in and how, how consistent will that uh, response be uh, among the variable spenders? including consumers and, and business. Very good. And in the middle of all of this, of course, is this now remote work and digital access. So in the middle of all this chaos we're talking about here, uh, and this is something a little bit uh, different. Uh, when I say different, you have a situation where uh, we have all these economic variables, and on top of that, 
Uh, we have this remote work and remote access and uh, organizations and people are starting to get a little bit comfortable uh, with this. We're not sure if it's a long-term trend or not, but how do you see this change on top of the other changes that you're seeing? Uh, is there something, things going to be accelerated or slowed down? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think initially you're going to see a, a rapid return to uh, to uh, what was traditionally uh, where work, workplaces used to be uh, by a good chunk of people. So I think that immediate impact will be viewed upon as, as pretty positive. Will it include everybody? Certainly not. Uh, there are those people who are comfortable uh, working at home, and there are those businesses who are comfortable having people work at home. And I think that uh, a good chunk of that is going to continue. As we proceed, uh, more of it may, may, uh, may uh, 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 how shall I put it, um, uh, go back to working from home after they've tried commuting and realizing that uh, working from home is fine. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to put a number on that. Uh, I don't think really that is the major, major, major issue with respect to the economy long term. Uh, these people will still be earning a living and they'll still be spending money. They'll just be spending it differently. So uh, with that, uh, a lot of, uh, obviously, forecasts and, and thoughts are based on historical data and the forecasting models uh, that are out there. Uh, are those uh, out the window now? Or are there some major shifts in those models? In other words, is, is the, are the historical models going to give us uh, any type of uh, indication of, of where we all may go from this point on? Well, the, the model is only as good as, as, uh, as, as the results of, of the model. I think uh, all, all these models that we see out there, I mean, you know, the smartest guys in the world put together the models, but there's no guarantee that, that they're going to work. I think common sense is, uh, is, is, is probably a, a better approach uh, to take rather than uh, just depending upon the way things you know, used to be. And I, I really feel that, um, you know, as, as you pointed out earlier, Sam, uh, people, uh, in, in some degree at least, are comfortable with life the way it is, at least, uh, you know, with the remote uh, work habit and um, with social distancing and things of that nature. So, so those changes will take place quickly at first for some people, but not for everybody. Um, and then we could see some, some you know, reversion. Uh, you know, what you call the second wave. So we have a second wave of the COVID-19 that everybody's anticipating. I think there will also be a, a second wave of, uh, of economic frustration and, 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 and decline. I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a rocket ship going to the moon. I'm sure that uh, there are a lot of people who would like to see that happen. But in my opinion, uh, it's going to be uh, spits and starts as, 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 as we get started. The, the stable part will come back and will stay stable. But uh, the, advancing, uh, the advancement for that point, I think it's, pretty, it's just impossible to, uh, to, uh, uh, to measure at this point. So the, uh, w- one of the issues that that's, we're all facing, and, and especially here in the United States, uh, it's a phrase that possibly is overused, but it may be true here, and, and that's the the haves and the have-nots, and I'm going to classify the haves a little bit differently now. The haves have a computer and internet access, and the have-nots don't. Uh, I, I hate to be that blunt, but there's many different ways to look at it. So a, a certain segment of the population uh, with this with this stay-at-home model or this working model that that doesn't allow physical access or physical presence uh, in plants or offices or things like that, uh, I believe are being affected uh, quite dramatically right now. And I think there's a there's a hidden group of people that uh, will stay hidden or stay uh, less than engaged for for quite some time. Uh, is is that part of what you're suggesting in this fits and start comeback or? Uh, any insight there in in this have have not situation we're seeing? Well, believe it or not, I think the have not are probably going to come back uh, as, as to anticipate. I mean, they 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 are what they are. 
and uh, they have what they have, as little as it might be. So I think they have a pretty high degree of confidence that, that, that they're going to you know, return. Uh, um, but then again, their impact on the economy isn't that great, even though there are a lot of them. Uh, the impact on the economy is really going to depend upon what I call the uh, consumer elite, which is uh, the people who have a lot of disposable income, who have a, a, a comfortable degree of wealth. Uh, they are comfortable spending money on travel, on restaurants, on hotels, on vacations, on luxury goods. And uh, uh, to some degree, obviously, they're going to come back. But what, to what degree, again, that's, that's the big unknown. We don't know how quickly they're going to return to their previous levels of spending. So the, the that class that you're you're talking about, if I if we can uh, chat about that for a little bit, I know that you've looked at uh, various segmentations, which were uh, really fascinating to me when we first discussed them. And can you provide some uh, insight into these various stratifications or segments uh, that you see here, and and what their impact is, uh, you know, in the next ninety days to a year or something like that? Sure. Um, I guess what you could say that uh, there are different kinds of consumers in the format, like a pyramid. The largest number of consumers uh, don't consume a lot relative to the others because they're living uh, either in or pretty close to poverty. Many of them either have no jobs or they have very little income. So, I mean, like I say, they're going to be continuing to uh, spend what little they have, but it's not going to have that much impact on the economy. The next group, uh, a group above that, I call them the basic consumers, folks who have jobs, but they spend most of their income on getting by with necessities. They do have some, some luxury spending, but you know, they're basically focused on getting paid every week and, and spending their money using whatever credit card uh, 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 credit they have. Um, because nowadays, the necessities include cell phones, a streaming TV subscription, takeout food, other routine lifestyle expenditures. But in the end, I would call these people dependable spenders, which is good. But again, it's not really enough to move the needle much above normal everyday behavior. The group above that, I call them the aspirants. These are traditionally young professionals. Maybe make good living, sometimes two-income families. They have children, they're raising children, they're paying off the mortgages. They have more money to spend than the basic consumers. Uh, and they're also pretty dependable. So they're going to come back. And I think that's what those, those groups, plus the, uh, the, uh, uh, the top of the term, the 25% that I think are called the elite. These are the people who have all the wealth. But again, you know, their spending patterns are consistent. So for about uh, two-thirds of the economy, three-quarters of the economy, uh, these, are the, these, these people are dependable spenders. Uh, if, they, if they stop spending for a while, they're going to start again, and they're going to go right back to where they were before. The big unknown is what I call the consumer elite. They're sort of between the aspirants and, and the elite. Uh, these people have substantial income, and they have accumulated wealth. But their spending levels vary a lot, because once they take care of the two necessities, uh, they can either spend a little or a lot depending on how they feel that day. This cohort, as I indicated before, represents about 60% of all consumer spending. So how they feel really means a lot. Wow. <laughs> that, that's, that's a fascinating um, uh, segmentation, and uh, uh, there, there's a bucket there. So uh, if, if we watch any of the uh, uh, silly videos that I'm sure we're all getting or watch, you know, television, uh, the joke is everybody's buying um, uh, shirts and, uh, uh, and garments above the waist and possibly below the waist. <laughs> they're, not getting, <laughs> they're not getting the, the most uh, newest of stuff that's there. And, and I, I, I saw a video recently of two young ladies uh, uh, talking and uh, uh, one of the young ladies was holding up a pair of, of, of jeans, uh, and, and she said to the other person, she says, these are jeans. There's a button, and there's a zipper. And the other person says, well, where's the drawstring? Um, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, that's there. And so what, right. what, what we see there, and, and, and uh, 
this is this is what I want to just elaborate a little bit on before we take a, a just a quick break. Uh, 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 depending on who this this uh, cons- uh, class is, the consumer elite class, they may have been purchasing, for example, jeans for I don't know fifty dollars, seventy dollars, and some of these, of course, are in, in the in the wacko hundreds of dollars. Excuse my word, wacko hundreds of dollars, but that's it. Versus, you know, a pair of, of uh, uh, sweatpants uh, at your local discount outlet for five, ten, fifteen dollars, or something like that. Right. So right. Uh, there's a, a shift in 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 dollars also, and I'm uh, I'll be curious when we uh, come back from our break to see whether or not that's going to you know impact. A certain group, or the spending, or the rapidity and uh, the, the rapidness, excuse me, of coming back uh, to a a uh, uh, a base uh, that the country and the, and the people here are comfortable with. Also, uh, the question I'd like to raise is: Will there be different winners out there? Uh, in other words, uh, the people that sort of uh, uh, cater uh, to a different segment of the of, of the population. I know uh, both of us in our careers uh, used to wear uh, suits and ties. <laughs> if anybody remembers what those are, and uh, that is something that isn't on the top of a lot of people's lists today. So we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then uh, we'll come back uh, with our guest talking about uh, the shift in the economy and if we can possibly look at some method to the madness that's, that's out there. See you back here in just a few minutes. Virtual Business Architecture Services from the Business Architecture Center of Excellence will provide you with the expertise of our consulting services remotely so you can achieve your goals quickly, efficiently, and economically. Using our business architecture methodology complemented by our full BACOE practitioner support, we will help you achieve the same great results without any travel at a reduced cost. Please visit BACOE.org backslash virtual hyphen BA for more information. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Are you stuck in your enterprise architecture practice with nothing but a bunch of static models and deliverables aimed at future technology development efforts rather than true business understanding? With the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops, you will learn proven step-by-step enterprise architecture techniques to be used as the baseline for addressing continuous business and organizational change. For dates, locations, and more, visit EACOE.org. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at EACOE.org. That's sam at EACOE.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, This is Sam Holzman. And the the topic for today is uh, looking at the economic uh, situation we're in and and, uh, a bit of a crises mode. And if you are tuning into the program live, you know that we're in the May 2020 timeframe. Uh, If you're uh, listening to this uh, uh, during a different time, of course, we all know that uh, things are a bit chaos in the world right now because of this uh, coronavirus and and the reactions uh, that are going on in in various parts of the country here in the U.S. and, of course, in in the rest of the world. And so we were talking with our guest regarding 
some of the things uh, that we're seeing in the shifting patterns in this remote environment uh, that we were we were talking about. And before the break, I was just joking about the switch from uh, suit and ties uh, that men were wearing to uh, dress jeans to jeans uh, to now sitting at home in sweatpants. <laughs> and of course, those are different uh, vendors, different uh, stores, different uh, environments, different costs associated with those. Um, and I wanted Ken to just uh, chat a little bit about the the segmentation and the various types of industries and possibly how they are affected uh, by this. So, Ken, your thoughts, please, if you could. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I, I'd like to start by saying that I believe in the, in the, in the consumer and that the consumer uh, consumer demand is what uh, uh, is the biggest driver uh, of, of economic growth. Not just uh, domestically, but uh, throughout our global our global economy, which is which is not going away. I mean, it's certainly going to be impacted politically, I think, for a while. But in the end, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've uh, adopted a global uh, strategy, and it works uh, when it works, uh, and it will work. We just don't know when it'll happen. Like uh, we don't know what the, what the timing of it is going to be. But as far as the consumer relief is concerned, as I indicated before. So these people, uh, they're used to buying luxuries, vacation homes, going on vacation, buying another couple of cars, a boat. When are they going to go back to the seats behind the dugout at a baseball game or on the 50-yard line at, at the football game? Or when are they going to be able to attend another Broadway show? Uh, this is the kind of stuff that uh, uh, creates a lot of economic activity. Uh, and uh, it's not going to come back. Uh, to stay as as as, as quickly as uh, as we would like it to, uh, whether it ever gets back to where it was, uh, remain, remains to be seen. I mean, again, a lot of it depends upon what how people occupy their time and how they spend their money, and whether they're saving money or spending money. Uh, but uh, in the aggregate, uh, it will be positive, but it will not come back nearly as fast or a, to the degree that we'd like it to uh, any time in the foreseeable future. I guess that's, I mean, that's not a negative spin, but it is a realistic spin. So the, 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 the digital marketplace, if I can, if I can use that phrase for just a moment, uh, I think it's trying, I think it, whatever that is, the combination of technologies is trying to refocus customer approaches and expectations. Do you see that as a, as a lasting thing? I, I know, it, you know, all of us as human beings, uh, we're used to a high touch model. And uh, forgive me, uh, Facebook is not high touch. <laughs> um, it's electronic touch, which is very different. Uh, and part of the consumer behavior we're seeing right now is, uh, how should I put it, it's, it's a reaction to reality, uh, a safety versus human touch type of equation. Uh, as we're seeing in the press and we're seeing in some parts of the country, uh, people are getting a bit annoyed about this, uh, like really annoyed about this. And is that going to accelerate uh, the movement back to the stable economy, or is it actually going to possibly inhibit things because we may have a second and third wave in these these uh, uh, virus situations, and these oscillations are going to continue for quite some time until human behavior addresses this digital thing we're in? Any thoughts about what you're seeing in this in this movement to the digital and the reaction, sometimes negative, to that? Well, the, the, the digital uh, revolution, so to speak, has created opportunities that, you know, we didn't have when we were children. Uh, we could sit back and watch a Broadway show or an opera or a ballet or, or um, uh, any, kind of, uh, any kind of educational, uh, remote learning, what have you, uh, from the comfort of our home. And I think that you know, once people are, are accustomed to that, a good chunk of people are going to prefer that. Uh, and as well, it doesn't cost as much because you don't have to get in your car and drive to a, uh, to a downtown uh, theater district, park your car and go out to a restaurant, 
hire a babysitter and all those other things that, that go along with that type that type of expenditure. So I think that 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 is going to be one of the last things that's going to come back, and a good chunk of it probably will be lost forever. So that's one of the reasons why I think that you know, the enthusiasm that we have going forward has got to be tempered by the reality that the new mores of how we occupy our time and and how we um, uh, uh, you know enjoy ourselves uh, you know, c- come come to the fore. And, uh, and we begin to take advantage of the opportunities that the, that the digital revolution has, has offered to us. So the the uh, the changes in, be- in in behavior, some of it is being forced. In other words, uh, because of this virus, uh, almost immediately, most large organizations clamped down and said you can you can work from home, uh, and. Uh, that model is what we're under right now. I just want to, you know, again, stress that it's only been a couple of months and uh, we don't know exactly where it, it's going to go. On top of that, the unemployment numbers out there are through the roof. Uh, I think everyone knows that. And a kind of a, a difficult question, but I am going to ask it. A lot of these companies are starting to recognize that maybe they don't need a hundred-story building uh, with their name on the top of it because it was that uh, edifice that they had there, and and uh, they spent hundreds of millions of, of dollars building this. They could possibly see they don't need as many people uh, anymore uh, to do this. They don't need walnut desks and uh, very fancy chairs. And they definitely don't need free food and buffets and all these other things. So along with this, you've got the two sides of the equation. You've got the the employee uh, and you have the employer and you have the recognition of all of these variabilities going on. So there are some organizations, I think, that use what I refer to as line of sight management. In other words, if I can't see you, I'm uncomfortable. And there's other organizations uh, that have already talked about giving their staff the option, at least for the rest of this year, uh, from from working at home. Uh, so with the with those changes, the question comes when we're talking about a recovery. Uh, is there a possibility, or have you seen in the past recoveries where? a large portion of the population, as large as we see now, there isn't a significant number of people that are coming back into the workforce? Or do you see, I know that no one knows exactly for sure, that that stabilization will occur and that labor force will eventually be uh, uh, deployed or redeployed as they were before? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. And I wish I had I had a really good answer for it. Uh, I believe that this time so is going to be very, <laughs> this time is very different from from our, from our experience uh, because so many of the jobs that you've been accustomed to uh, may have, may not come back, and uh, people are going to have to learn to uh, make some real pretty drastic uh, adjustments to their lives. Uh, there's a story I can tell about a bank in Jacksonville, Florida, that it has let go. 75% of their workforce. And you have to ask yourself, why would a bank, how can they get by with, with one quarter of their employees? And I extrapolate that story out to the conclusion that they are not going to reopen their branches, that branch banking is something that has been uh, uh, replaced by, uh, by internet banking, by the use of ATMs, by use of direct deposits. And and and, uh, and debit cards, uh, and uh, if that type of thing takes hold uh, throughout the banking industry, it's an awful lot of people that are employed in banking who are going to have to find other 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 means of employment. And the same thing, I think you can talk about. We mentioned earlier today about the, the retail stores. Uh, retail stores employ a lot of people, uh, not just salespeople, but cashiers. And uh, people uh, stocking uh, stocking shelves and ordering uh, inventory and stuff like that. Uh, if they can get by with fewer people, that's a whole lot more people that are looking for looking for other jobs. 
So I think that that's going to be somewhat of a of a uh, how should I put it? A uh, I hate to use the word break. <laughs> this is, it sounds so dramatic, but it's an attenuation, so to speak, of the of the uh, uh, of what would normally happen uh, in the time of what used to be considered a normal economic recovery. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask a, a multi-part question here, and, and uh, I'll sort of repeat it because I, it is a multi-part question, but I think it all, um, it, it all fits together. So there's geographies, and I don't know if the geographies would be uh, in north, south, east, or west, or warm climates or cold climates, those types of things. There are different uh, sectors in the economy uh, as as you and I, you know, were just talking. So, for example, uh, I'm trying to remember the last time that I filled up my car with gasoline. Uh, the, my gasoline usage has been way, way, way down. Uh, yes, it's it's going to come back, but all the people in those industries. So uh, you have different se- segments. The third category I, I look at is products. In other words, you can divide the the products into various categories also, uh, not only from luxury standpoint, but we now see um, a, uh, a, a shortage, if I can use that word, uh, with beef and meats, uh, not because there's not enough cattle, but the plants that uh, process these things uh, have been affected by, you know, the uh, coronavirus, the, the staff there. And uh, there's there's an issue. They can't process, um, the, you know, the, the meats uh, that we see. So product categories. And then I think you mentioned uh, the customer segments and the, the segments that you delineated are, were really kind of a, an eye opener to me. And I, I hope to others to see that you have this shifting, you know, situation um, you know, that that is continuing and I think is going to be uh, not attenuated, but actually amplified in these customer segments because the skilling, is, as you had mentioned, uh, is shifting. Uh, a lot of the people, unfortunately, that are being affected are ones that have uh, less uh, cerebral skills uh, than others. And I hope that doesn't sound too harsh, but it's more of a routine set of actions uh, versus uh, actions that involve uh, a bit of different, you know, creativities. So we, we chatted, uh, you know, about the difference between, you know, the brick and mortar bank, as, as you mentioned. Uh, you've got a teller or a, a human being behind a, a counter or something like that uh, interacting versus the, you know, automatic teller machine. Versus now, uh, the transfer of, of, of funds or money or banking that can be done uh, not almost uh, humanless, but pretty close to it, where you're interacting with a remote computer or a series of computer bots or things like that to do a number of, of, of different uh, segmentations uh, in the marketplace. So we've got just a few minutes, once again, before our break. But again, what I'd like to do is to go through those segments. And let me start off with just geographies. So we just got a couple of minutes here. But do you see different parts of the country or parts of segments, warm climates, cold climates, north, south, east, west, in industries, uh, anything in that category that you see uh, affected more, affected less in, in, in what you're recognizing? Well, the trends that have existed before, I would say, for the last uh, 20 or so years, maybe even longer, is a population shift uh, away from well, the northeast and toward the southeast. Uh, that, that started a long time ago, and I, I think that will continue, maybe even ex- accelerate. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, that's, I, don't think, I don't think that's anything new. Uh, the other thing is that you know, people are moving... Uh, uh, into the into urban areas, or at least into metropolitan areas, and away from uh, the hinterland, and, and that's happening all over the world, and, and, and that's going to continue. So I don't see any really 
big major changes there. Uh, I mean, in other words, what we what we've had in the past, I think, will will continue. So, from a, a geography standpoint, you're seeing just a, a continuing uh, trend there. Um, right. Uh, we're running up against a break in just just a few minutes, and and I want to leave one thought uh, that we'll pick up in the next segment, and that is the the urban uh, phrase that you used, and I want to chat about that a little bit uh, in our next segment because the urban areas in some parts of the country were the ones that were dramatically affected by uh, this virus. And so we are going to take just a quick break. We're going to come back with our guest and continue to talk about uh, this whole concept of crises situations and can we bring some method to the madness that we see out there. See you back here in a few minutes. No travel? No problem. The Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence and Business Architecture Center of Excellence are experts in offering distance learning enterprise architecture and business architecture certification workshops throughout the year. Your experience mirrors our face-to-face workshops and are not just remote broadcasts. You will collaborate in teams across the world, just as though you were across the table. For dates and registration, visit eacoe.org and BACOE.org. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Based on over 30 years of real-world experience, the Business Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops in business architecture will guide you beyond theory and into actual implementation. If you are looking to develop a baseline for business agility through goal-aligned, prioritized capabilities, we will help you get there. You will leave our workshop with real tools, processes, techniques, and most importantly, true hands-on business architecture project practice. For dates, locations, and more, visit BACOE.org. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. Uh, today we're talking about applying logic uh, to consumer behavior in the times of crises. And in our last segment, we left off talking about uh, uh, geographic differences uh, that may be affecting the comeback uh, of the economy and, and people's lives and jobs and money and entertainment and things like that. And we left off uh, just discussing uh, what I saw was actually a belief. It's a belief on my part. I'm, I'm not saying I have any uh, insight other than just observation that one of the issues in, in the crises we're in right now was the urban density environment. Uh, and uh, the the magnitude of the impact in some of the major, uh, I say, high-rise cities, uh, wh- whatever coast there are, wherever they are, there was a an intensity there of, of the disease just because of the proximity of, of the people. Uh, and as Ken was mentioning before the break, he said there has been a migration uh, from the I like to call it the colder climates to the warmer climates, and and both of us have been experiencing that. Uh, both Ken and I have been smiling about that because that's what we we're doing ourselves, uh, as as we're shifting. So, Ken, any any thoughts about whether this is going to accelerate or 
Do you really see a, a movement back to the urban areas for a certain segment of the population or generations uh, that were getting comfortable with that, but now see this as a as a possible negative? Well, I, I, I use the word urban, but then I change it in metropolitan. So metropolitan includes uh, urban as well as suburban and you know, perhaps exurban with people are living in a, in a commuting you know, into, into the, into the, uh, into the uh, central business district. Uh, that obviously is going to suffer a little bit because of this virus situation and the need for social, or at least say the uh, uh, suggestion that we continue the social distancing you know, for a while. Uh, and there's been also, my observation, a lot of overbuilding of high-rise buildings, both for offices and uh, and for uh, residences, residences uh, in in the in the urban areas, and that that excess real estate has got to be absorbed, and it'll probably take a number of years, maybe even a decade, for that to happen. But in the end, human beings like to congregate with other human beings, and they like to uh, go where the jobs are, and the jobs are going to be continue to be in what I call the metropolitan areas because that's where the talent is, that's where the universities are, that's where the services are, that's where the airports are. Uh, you're going to continue to see a lot of international travel, uh, which is taking a hit and will probably come back very, very slowly, but it will come back eventually. So I think that um, we just have to be optimistic that longer term, things will improve I don't know how quickly, and I don't know to what level they will improve to, uh, but uh, uh, I'm confident that they will improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this will be an interesting observation for all of us. As I said, I uh, I, I wish I knew. I don't know either which way it's going to go, but uh, uh, I look at as I said these these denser areas. Uh, it sticks in people's mind for a while. And as you said, we don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, that, that the core cities uh, have a, an attraction, you know, no doubt about it. There's just no, no, no doubt about that. And uh, I think part of the variable will be, and I think you pointed something out uh, for our audience here that's kind of important. It's, quote, where the jobs are, unquote. <laughs> and if some of these major uh, enterprises that are in these 100-story buildings start looking at the remote model more and possibly a model of, of different workforce densities, uh, we may see something different. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to be fascinated to watch, especially, and uh, I, I really appreciate your, your insight into this, uh, to some of the West Coast technology companies. Uh, a lot of those companies have have done what people consider to be a, a marvelous job of helping their employees stay in the offices by providing free food, uh, uh, dry cleaning, uh, snack bars, uh, evening hour, cocktail hours, all these things uh, that magnifies the identity they have at some of these high-tech organizations. From what I'm seeing, those are some of the first things that are disappearing because of the situation we're in right now. And so the attractiveness, once again, of coming into the office, even in a a beautiful setting, may be a little bit less. And what we're talking about here, again, is, is, is is the economic sectors. Some people, obviously... Uh, no matter what, they have to be uh, in in the location, <laughs> uh, whether it's the you know the medical community, uh, manufacturing. There's only so much, obviously, that can be done remotely. But when it comes to the white collar workforce uh, or the technology enabling workforce, and you had talked about segmenting the population into these areas. These are the people that had or could have a lot of disposable income and were generally tied to a certain geographic area. That may be breaking or that may be changing. Uh, Your thoughts on those types of organizations 
and and the magnet that they may have lost in actually being present in, for example, Silicon Valley, you get some benefits, but we all know the cost, for example, of housing is is incredibly high. So there's these trade-offs. Uh, so in, in that particular segment of the economy and the geographies, there may be some differences. Any thoughts or insights well, there? Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go back to my to my parents uh, uh, for a minute. Okay, so we you know we have the, the people at the bottom and the people at, at one step up. You know, they're probably going to stay stay put because that's 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 what they've been doing for their entire lives, and that's that's their culture. And the people at the very top. Uh, you know they're not affected by any of this stuff, so they're going to continue. Uh, and so the other other two segments are what I call the aspir- aspirational segment and the consumer elite. So the aspirational segment, these people, uh, they don't come to the office for the free freebies. They come to the office for the opportunity to get ahead to and to participate in uh, in the uh, in the evolution, if not the revolution of the businesses that that that. They're in, and you know you're not going to get ahead unless people know who you are, unless people see you, unless you have the opportunity to uh, make a contribution to the uh, to your supervisors, to your bosses, to the president, to the CEO, so to speak. Uh, you have the old story about the elevator speech. You're not going to be able to make the elevator speech unless you're in the elevator. So I think <laughs> that group, that group is is is, is, is they're, they're going to continue to do what they've done in, in the past. Uh, and, and which is a positive. Uh, the, the, only, the great uncertainty, as I said earlier, has to do with the, you know the consumer elite, the people who are comfortable working at home. A lot of them already do work at home. Uh, I, I know a lot of people in my community who are very highly placed executives. With their, like I say, they are the consumer elite. They 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 they've already achieved what they set out to achieve, uh, and 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 they're happy working from home. Uh, but not everybody is going to be happy working from home. Yes, <laughs> that is absolutely true, and that's that that social aspect of of, of things. So, uh, I, I want to just amplify this a little bit. Obviously, it's a it's when I say a hot button of mine, it really is is confusing to me as I see all of this transition going on. So, we have the high rise dense buildings, we have the uh, suburban sprawl office campuses with all of these accruements <laughs> that are there. And I'm not picking on this group at all, but I want to use them. Then you have the people that use Starbucks as an office, if I can use that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, hey, it's, it's reality. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and then you have the people that use public libraries, yes, uh, which is a, another source that uh, we see a lot of as I roam around the country. I sometimes have done that myself. Uh, it's it's quite convenient. Then you sure. have... Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I have too. I've used public libraries myself. Yeah, yeah. Then you have the shared offices, <laughs> okay? And then you have being at home. So you've got you've got this huge spread of things uh, that we now see that just a few years ago uh, we, we haven't even we haven't even thought about. Now all of those uh, are going to change the work model uh, away from the central core. And yes, the elevator pitch or giving an elevator pitch is is quite important uh, at a certain point in time. And so once again, coming full circle here on this this, this concept. If we are if we're out for let's say another six months, and people see that they can give an elevator pitch on a uh, Zoom meeting in two minutes uh, with some entertaining uh, graphics, <laughs> uh, yes, no, what do you think? <laughs> this model. Well, I would, I, would, I would be I would be very surprised if uh, if, if that happens. I think that uh, the people would like to see it happen. Uh, and some people, I'm sure, think that it will happen. I mean, I'm somewhat skeptical. I've been on a couple of Zoom meetings, and uh, maybe it's still rudimentary, and maybe I'm just that's not not as comfortable as other people are with it. Uh, and I've profited from it. I've benefited from it. I'm not trying to, to to say that it's not here to stay. I think I think it is here to stay. But it's really going to be an adjunct to what I think is the basic human desire 
to, to commune with other human beings, uh, to socialize, to have an opportunity to uh, 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 shake hands, well, maybe not shake hands anymore, <laughs> but, 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 but be with people in a spontaneous setting uh, where you can, where you can uh, judge people's behavior and uh, opportunities uh, you know, face-to-face, not, not simply uh, electronically. Yeah, the, the human desire, yes. I, I think what, uh, what message we're bringing right now, and uh, it really is comforting uh, to me and I hope to others, is that uh, we are all bonded together by some type of, I won't say high touch anymore, but an observation that isn't through an electronic media. Now, I'm not sure if it's Ken, you and I. <laughs> I don't think we're the outliers. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's continuing, but, you know, we, we all, both of us, you know, are, are blessed with children and grandchildren and their reactions to that. Now, in the short term, let's say two to five years, I think that the, you know, as you, as you call it, the classes that we're looking at, the, the people classes we're looking at that are going to drive the economy uh, are high-touch individuals, and that's what I hope uh, will push us back into uh, in, in this new environment. So as we close out, I would like to really, really, really thank uh, my guest uh, from uh, of today. Uh, and uh, you heard Ken's uh, background, Ken uh, Metviner. Uh, he did say that uh, he is... Uh, Semi-retired, but I don't believe that. He's still having way too much fun talking to me and others. But uh, his insight uh, was unique, and uh, I hope that our audience got some insight into possibly looking at this thing not only through the emotional uh, aspect of things, but through some of the logic uh, that Ken was uh, uh, presenting here. Because I think this is really what's underlying what you and I are talking about, a pure logic. So, Ken... From the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And uh, most importantly, please stay well and take care.